0: In the dead of night, in a quiet Connecticut town, a young boy whispers to an unseen horror. His voice, not his own, echoes a chilling prophecy of murder. In the seemingly peaceful town of Brookfield, Connecticut, a darkness lurked, one that would forever alter the lives of the Glatzel family. This is not just the story of a young boy, David Glatzel, but a chilling saga of an innocent life swallowed whole by the jaws of a malevolent, unseen force. Picture David, once a beacon of youthful energy, now a vessel for something ancient and evil, a battleground for forces beyond our understanding. The air around him, heavy with a dread that chokes the heart, his eyes, once bright, now pools of abyssal darkness staring into the souls of those he loved. Whispers in the dead of night, shadows dancing in the corners of rooms, and an unshakable chill that crept into the bones of the Glatzel household. These were just the harbingers of the horror that was to unfold. Demonic possession, a concept so bizarre and terrifying, became a living, breathing nightmare for David. But this tale is more than just a recounting of a young boy's descent into a hellish ordeal. It's a journey into the darkest corners of fear and the paranormal. Prepare yourself, for what you're about to hear is a story that pushes the very boundaries of our reality a boy caught in a vortex of supernatural claims, and a family's desperate cries for help. As we venture into this abyss, ask yourself, are you prepared to believe in the unbelievable?
1: Hello, no one is available to take your call. Please leave a message after the tone. I'm all about paranormal stories and the Glatzel case is chilling. Do you think there was any truth to the possession claim, or was it all psychological? Can't wait to hear this episode.
0: Next message.
1: Hey Bert, your podcast always gives me goosebumps. My boyfriend and I listen to your podcast in the car every Wednesday morning. Keep up the good work. As far as the Glatzel case, do you believe that the brother-in-law was really possessed when he killed that guy?
0: Next message. Personally, I think that this possession was real for David. But Arnie? I think he just used what was said as an excuse. What do you think? Next message.
1: I've only seen the Conjuring movie on this haunting. Now the question is how much of it was real. I guess we'll find out on Wednesday. Welcome back to Retraced Echoes. As always, I'm your host, my name is Bert. And today's story starts out like many that we tell on this podcast. Honestly, I think they all start out heartwarming. Probably the only big difference is the location. And tonight, we find ourselves in the heart of a sleepy Connecticut town on a day that seemed like any other. David Gletzel and his brother found themselves helping their sister Debbie and her fiancé Arnie move into a new home. It was supposed to be just a day of moving and cleaning, a day that held the promise of new beginnings. The house held the hopes of a fresh start for his sister's future. Now David and his brother, while looking around the house, ventured into the master bedroom, and what they stumbled across was a very curious sight. In the mostly empty room, they found a neglected waterbed. Now the waterbed, it was just too tempting to not check out. Now, their initial hesitation, it gave way to their childish curiosity, and soon they were lost in the fun of bouncing up and down on the bed. But in that moment of joy, something changed. Without warning, the bedroom door, which had been open the entire time, slammed shut with an undeniable force. Now, the boys, they stopped dead in their tracks, their laughter abruptly silenced. Fear replaced the laughter as they rushed to the door, tugging at the handle, but it was as if someone on the other side was holding it firmly shut. Eventually, the door gave way, opening just as mysteriously as it had closed. The boys shaken couldn't make sense what happened. The door slamming shut could not have been due to the wind or air pressure. And when the door opened, there was no one on the other side or was there. After the unsettling situation with the door, David and his brother tried to put the event behind them. The memory stayed, casting a shadow over what should have been an exciting day. As they continued to help with the move, every noise seemed louder, every shadow darker. The once welcoming home now felt different, as if the slammed door had awakened something dormant within its walls. Now David was still a little scared of the master bedroom, but with all the courage he had, he went in. While cleaning up around the bed, he felt an overwhelming dread, He kept looking over his shoulder he was really scared that that door was going to shut again this time with just him in the room by himself what if it was just him by himself would anyone hear his calls for help what was waiting to pounce on him when he was alone now david you wouldn't have to question these things for very long as he was about to encounter something that would forever change the course of his life out the corner of his eye David noticed a presence in the room. As he turned to look, he found an old man, poorly dressed in a plaid shirt that had old patches. Now, this didn't scare David only because of the sudden manifestation, but also his demeanor and his actions. The old man stared straight at David, a penetrating stare that seemed to see right into his very soul. Then he lifts his hand and with a disgusted face, points and utters a single bone-chilling word beware no sooner than the word escaped his mouth with a huge force david is pushed onto the bed by the old man david now is completely shocked he watched as a man disappeared in thin air now david fearing for his life by what he just witnessed ran as quickly as his legs would take him out of the house tears in his eyes and screaming for help as everyone tried to calm him down and understand what just happened All David could really say was that he refused to go back in. For David, it was a very difficult ride home. His eyes were wide. He was shaking with fear and unable to get the images of the old man out of his mind. Now that night, David laid in bed, haunted by the thoughts of that old man. It just seemed to cling to his consciousness, even while his eyes were closed. Trembling, he revealed to his brother the disturbing image that he couldn't just let go of. He's not just an old man, David whispered, his voice quivering with fear. His eyes, they're like dark, bottomless pits, and his face, it's wrinkled like an animal. His teeth, they were jagged and rotten. He has pointy ears, almost devilish, horns like a devil too, and the smell, he smelled like decayed earth, his brother the bed right beside him, was now also hiding under the blanket. Listening in horror as David's description brought an image of something that just wasn't sinister, but demonic. Now as the boys laid in bed in another room, David's mom and dad, Judy and Carl Sr., was talking about what happened that day. Now Carl, he thought it was just a case of an overactive imagination. He struggled to accept that the supernatural could mix with reality. I mean, this was the stuff of movies and scary books, not the life that we exist in every day. But the fear in David's voice was undeniably genuine, and he knew that it was very unlike David to act like that. Judy, she was torn between skepticism and the chilling truth herself. But the next morning, when they're all back at the house to finish cleaning and preparing for the rest of the move, they found a sight that would shock them all as they entered the house. They found a small smear of blood on the floor they also heard whining and whimpering coming from the other room george the family dog had been left alone at the rental property overnight and now he was found cowering and hiding george was usually a calm and loyal companion but now he was found in an absolute state of terror the doors of the house had deep frantic scratch marks the silent proof of the desperate attempts to escape or perhaps to confront whatever terrorized him. His paws were bloodied, his breathing was heavy as though he'd spent the entire night in the fight of his life against the unknown. Now this change in George, a dog known for his gentle demeanor added a chilling new dimension to the unfolding mystery. Now with this alarming development, the family became very concerned and a new fear had crept into their mind. What would do this to an 11 year old boy and a lovable dog the family had to find out what was going on in this home and they knew who the previous tenant was it was karen now karen's explanation it did not ease their minds her stories of absolute terror echoed in the dim light of the living room as she shared her experiences now karen with a voice touched with unease told of nights haunted by ghostly whispers she would lay in her bed and hear her name stretched out in a ghostly whisper sleep became a battleground as she faced an entity both unseen as well as in her mind malevolent the old man a figure would hide hide right in the shadows and would float across the floor and lay on her bed karen would freeze with fear this wasn't supposed to happen the old man's icy arm would wrap around her and would try to violate her with his icy touch these encounters They were far from mere illusions. They were intelligent, and they knew what they were doing. Debbie, she listened to every word from Karen, and it added weight to the filling in the pit of her stomach. Now, Debbie knew it wasn't just David's experience in the house. She knew that there was something lurking in the home, looking for a victim. Some would say that the entity was trying to stalk its prey, trying to find the easiest target to take down. Karen mentioned that one of the biggest reasons that she was leaving was due to the entity and the violations that she had faced. Even though money was hard to come by and she didn't have a lot of help, she had to leave before something went further. That's why there were still things in the master bedroom. She could not make herself go back there to take care of it. The Gletzel family, once skeptical, now found themselves at a crossroad. The Whispers in the nights. The unseen touches, they all pointed to the truth more sinister than they had ever imagined. The realization that they were not alone in this encounter with the supernatural entity brought a chilling clarity. They were dealing with a force that was both prowling in the shadows and willing to attack at any moment. The family knew that their journey into the heart of this mystery had taken a darker turn. The story that they had heard was not just a tale of ghostly whispers and chilling encounters. It was a bold, warning of a malevolent presence lurking within the home the family braced themselves for what laid ahead the past shrouded in shadows and uncertainty leading deeper into the realm of the supernatural this was also not an easy decision for them they'd already put down a non-refundable deposit of 550 dollars now that was money they did not want to lose But they also felt as though they should have been told about the situation before making such a huge commitment. Add to that, they'd already begun the process of spending money for cleaning supplies, putting in hours at the house to get it ready to move in. Add to that, Arnie's mom had already committed to moving in with them and she was supposed to be coming later that day with some of her own boxes. Debbie and Arnie made the very difficult decision to abandon their plans of moving into the rental house. The couple, now deeply aware of the possible dangers lurking within the walls of the new home, knew that there was no way that they could make the move. It was just too risky for everyone involved. They began the process of packing up their belongings. But what was they going to tell Arnie's mom? How was she going to take the news? Would she be able to move back to where she was living at previously? didn't take very long to find out these answers. Arnie's mom pulled into the driveway. She was shocked to see them not moving boxes into the house, but instead moving them back to the vehicles. She got out, she was confused, and if anything, a little frustrated. As they all got together and explained what had happened with Karen before, and just recently with David, to her the stories of the hauntings and the apparitions were difficult to grasp. Her reaction was one of frustration and disbelief. She had already uprooted her life, anticipated this move, and now, was faced with her own dilemma. The eerie tales which had so profoundly affected Debbie and Arnie seemed impossible to her. Her reaction was one of frustration as well as disbelief. She had already uprooted her life, anticipated this move, and now faced her own dilemma. The eerie tales which had so profoundly affected Debbie and Arnie seemed impossible to her. Without even a second thought, she announced her decision to move into the house alone dismissing the warnings as mere superstitions. This decision was bold and defiant, yet, if frightened and concerned, the family. While Debbie and Arnie was relieved to distance themselves from the house, they couldn't help but be scared to death for Arnie's mom. The house, with its unseen presence and unexplained occurrences, waited silently as Arnie's mom prepared to make her move into the house unaware of the chilling experiences that had unfolded within its walls, but she would never face the threat within that house. With that said, David's encounter with the malevolent entity escalated into a deeply emotional plea for help. The once vibrant and carefree boy became consumed with fear. He was often found begging with tears in his eyes for his family to protect him. The tear in his eyes was real. He described how the entity haunted him not only during his waking hours, but when he dreamed. He felt constantly watched, unable to escape the stalking presence of the demon that now plagued his life. This heart-wrenching situation left a family in a state of despair. How do you protect someone from something that you can't even see? How do you fight something that you can't attack? This was no longer just a series of strange occurrences. It was a fight for their son's well-being against an unknown and powerful entity. Now the Gletzel family, their ordeal took an even darker turn when David began to feel as though the old man was trying to now infiltrate his home. And by his home, I mean Judy and Carl Sr.'s home. David's terror escalated as he described the entity attempting to enter through various points in the house. At one window, he'd see a dark silhouette of the figure its menacing presence pressing against the glass as if it was trying to break through the barrier between the natural and the supernatural. At the front door, the family would hear a series of loud, deliberate knocks, three to be exact. Now, Judy, she would run around sprinkling holy water in all the entry points. Each attempt by the entity to enter seemed to intensify David's fear. He would run from room to room, desperately trying to escape the sight of the old man, his pleas for help becoming more frantic. The family, now deeply concerned and scared, would follow David, trying to comfort him, yet feeling hopeless against the unseen adversary. In the living room, David now cowered in the corner, whispering that the old man was now in the attic. He could feel him right above them. They all just stood there quietly, just listening. The only sound was that of feared breaths coming from David. But then, out of nowhere, they heard it. Very softly at first. Unexplained and new noises were now, just as David had explained, coming from the attic. A series of bangs and scrapes seemed to mirror the chaos unfolding below david gripped by fear would describe the sounds as the old man and now he was calling for helpers he wasn't going to be alone in this battle the old man had a legion of terrifying friends all moving and conspiring against them 42 helpers in fact this escalation of events deeply affected the family They had heard the stories from Karen and David and even saw the aftermath of the dog, but now they could hear the enemy plotting above them. The house, once a place of safety and comfort, had turned into a battleground against the unseen and malevolent force. They thought they had left the danger in the last residence, but the old man found what he wanted and he was going to stop at nothing to claim his prey. In the moment of tense curiosity, Arnie bravely ventured into the attic, driven by a need to uncover the truth behind the eerie disturbances. The attic, cloaked in shadows and silence, seemed untouched by time and layers of dust covered and long-forgotten belongings. But as Arnie cautiously moved through the space, a sudden cold chill wrapped around him. It felt as though an unseen presence was sizing him up, its cold touch sending a wave of dread through his body from the dimly lit corners of the attic, whispers seemed to emerge, eerie and indistinct as if the shadows themselves were speaking. And Arnie's heart began to pound because he realized he was no longer just a bystander in the unfolding mystery, he had become a part of it. He as well as the rest of the family was unaware, but the home had just crossed over into infestation. Now in the days that followed, David found himself in what one could only call a nightmare. He described with alarming detail the grotesque appearances of the 42 demons that haunted him. Each entity more disturbing than the last. They all flaunted twisting forms and sinister demeanors, and they all would answer to the old man by number, almost like they were clocking into the job and punching their employee number with each activity completed. As David recounted the demons' appearances, his family watched in horror. They observed him flinching and recoiling as if under some sort of assault. But the blows they never landed. The demons would raise their arms, clubs, and whips as if to strike, only to stop within just a few inches of his skin. They would taunt him and tell him all the things they were going to do to him, how they were going to enjoy hurting him. The torturous game, psychological warfare, wore down David's spirit leaving him in a constant state of fear and anxiety. Now, as the family witnessed these unseen attacks, they felt a mixture of both helplessness as well as terror. Was this a psychological issue or was it just a case of David having a mental breakdown? It only took a few hours for these questions to be answered. David was offered an escape from the old man and the minions. The old man only wanted one thing, his soul. If David was to give him his soul, the attack on him would stop and the old man and his minions would leave David alone. He told David that if he refused, he would stay and torture him forever. But David refused. He said that he loved his family and he loved his God. The punishment? The attacks that were falling just short of David were now landing in agonizing accuracy each slap, each hit, each scratch, smack of the whip, and club were now hitting David. The entities had waited for this moment. If he wasn't going to give his soul freely, they were ready to take it by force. David began to show signs of abuse, bruises, welts, and marks that appeared spontaneously. These injuries They defied explanation, manifesting in real time as if inflicted by an unseen force. In addition, the hits were audible. All that the family members could do was watch in horror. David would flinch, they would hear the hit, and right after see the redness and the marks. The family in the beginning was skeptical, but now watched as David endured these invisible beatings. The family now faced the chilling realization that they were not just dealing with David's overactive imagination, instead they were deftly dealing with the sinister force that manifested in their very home. The fear and helplessness they felt was very intense as they struggled to protect David from the enemy that they couldn't even see, that they couldn't even understand. As the Gretzel family grappled with the escalating supernatural events that surrounded David, They realized they needed help way beyond what they could provide. In the search for answers, they turned to the local church, seeking spiritual guidance and intervention. The family approached Father James Dennis, the pastor of St. Joseph's Church in Brooksfield Center. They hoped his experience and position within the church would offer some sort of relief or solution to the terror that was unfolding in their lives. Father Dennis, an elderly and very well-respected priest, listened to the family's accounts of Dennis's encounters with the demonic entities. The severity and detail of this story was very unsettling, even for someone with his experience. Father Dennis, perhaps overwhelmed by the magnitude of the situation, as well as remembering the toll a previous exorcism had taken on him, felt unequipped to directly handle the case. He was planning a trip to visit his ailing mother in Ireland, which obviously added to his hesitation. Father Dennis decided to reach out to Ed Lorraine Warren, which everyone then and now knew as renowned paranormal investigators from the neighboring town of Monroe. The Warrens, with their extensive background in dealing with such phenomena, seemed like the best choice to assist the Gletzels in their time of need. Now Ed Lorraine, after speaking with the pastor, Father Dennis decided to reach out to Ed Lorraine Warren which everyone then and now knew as renowned paranormal investigators, and they were just in the neighboring town of Monroe. The Warrens, with their extensive background in dealing with such phenomena, seemed like the best possible choice to assist the Gletzels in their time of need, and the Rain knew after speaking with the priest that they were about to embark in a profound and potentially dangerous case. Their expertise in demonology and clairvoyance had made them well-known figures in the realm of paranormal investigation. Also, having been involved in numerous high-profile cases, with no time to spare, the Warrens asked for the help of Dr. Gresso for his expertise from a medical perspective, and they made their way to the family home. Once they made it to the house, the Warrens and the doctor experienced a very unsettling welcome as they walked up the front steps, Ed not usually clumsy tripped as if an invisible hand had grabbed his ankle now the doctor he snickered and joke about ed's clumsiness his laughter soon turned to shock and confusion as he too stumbled in the same spot that ed did the entity was letting everyone know that they were not welcome and that it held all the power The Warrens, seasoned in dealing with supernatural phenomena, sensed the intensity and the danger of the case immediately. The air in the house was thick with tension, a clear indication that there was something dark at play. The Warrens witnessed an intense manifestation of paranormal activity. Lorraine, using her psychic abilities, sensed a dark oppressive force centering around Davin. The entity, described as blacker than black spirit mass seemed to confirm Lorraine's psychic vision when David indicated where he saw the beast. Suddenly, the house erupted in poltergeist phenomena. Objects began moving on their own. Unexplained noises echoed through the rooms. The dark entity was now with them. It was here, and it wasn't scared to let them know. The dark entity began to demonstrate a sinister intelligence. David, the only one that could see and communicate with the beast, became an involuntary medium. Ed, who was experienced in the deceptive nature of demonic entities, challenged it to throw him out the window. When the entity failed to do so, Ed mockingly dismissed its claims, promising that the church's involvement would banish it back to hell. Now, this bold exchange only fueled the entity's wrath. It assured Ed that no force could drive it out suggesting that their attempts at intervention would bring suffering to all involved. The Warrens, realizing the gravity of the situation, acknowledged that David was not under attack, but in imminent danger of full possession. The demonic presence had rapidly progressed from infestation to oppression, and possession, it was the very next step. Now the Warrens, they started to collect evidence that they could show to the Roman Catholic Church. Their hope was to obtain a sanction for the exorcism. Meanwhile, the family home became a battleground of paranormal activity. Unseen forces threw objects, produced eerie noises, and even manifested physical attacks and terror on the family. At one point, one of David's plastic toy dinosaurs became a vessel. It began to walk around the room speaking to David in a chilling display of supernatural power. The eldest son, Carl Jr., became a tool of the demonic forces. Whispers and manipulation by the entities drove him to cause conflict and violence within the family, adding to the chaotic and fearful environment. Now this insidious strategy of the demonic presence was very simple, weaken the family bond, a typical tactic in such malevolent hauntings. The family, now fully aware of the peril they faced, was faced into a state of heightened vigilance and fear. The once peaceful home had become the realm of terror, where the unseen and malevolent force exerted a sinister influence, challenging the very fabric of reality. The Warrens' involvement marked a very crucial turning point in the fight against the dark presence. As things within the household intensified, the entity began to use disturbing influences on Carl Jr. His behavior changed drastically. He turned from the typical older brother to someone who seemed to relish in causing chaos within the family. This alarming shift was not just a case of teenage rebellion. It appeared as though the unseen force was manipulating him, using him as a pawn in a sinister game to destabilize the family structure. The relentless attacks on David grew more vicious and personal. The entity would physically attack him, causing his hair to be ripped out, forcing his body into extreme physical exertion. Now David even experienced episodes of levitation chilling manifestation of the Entity's power. The torment escalated as a heartbreaking climax on David's twelfth birthday. A day that should have been filled with celebration and excitement was reduced to a nightmare as the Entity cruelly disrupted the festivities. It destroyed his birthday cake and continued its unrelenting assault. The Entity's influence was not limited to just David. Arnie, who witnessed the brutal attacks on the young boy, found himself drawn in. In a bold but dangerous move, Arnie confronted the demonic presence, challenging it to target him instead of David. This act of defiance, though well-intentioned, was a huge mistake. In the realm of the demonic, such a challenge was often met with severe consequences. In the Warrens, they recognized the very horrific situation. They even took the steps to alert the local police, warning them of the potential danger possessed by the entity's influence on Arnie. The Warrens foresaw the possibility that the demonic entity might very well accept Arnie's challenge. That could lead to an unseen or possibly tragic outcome. The family, now caught in a terrifying and seemingly endless cycle of paranormal activity, faced each day with a growing apprehension, uncertain of what horrors the day might bring. On September 8th, the situation in the household took a very dire turn as David experienced full demonic possession. His physical appearance underwent a very horrifying transformation. His face, it contorted into a very disturbing expression and his face and stomach became unnaturally bloated. In this state, he became aggressive, attacking the family with whatever he could find. This included everything from knives to a fire poker. In one instance, he even broke Judy's nose and threatened his grandmother with a knife. Now, these episodes, they required multiple family members, including Carl Jr. and Arnie, to physically restrain David to prevent harm. During one scary event, David, under the influence of the possessing entity, made a chilling proclamation that Arnie would commit a violent act with a knife. Now, this very chilling statement was captured on a tape recorder that was set up by the Warrens. Finally the Roman Catholic Church was leading an investigation by several priests. During the investigation, they were shocked by the manifestation of David's possession, including levitation, which deeply affected those present, including the priests. Despite these alarming signs, initial attempts of exorcism known as deliverance sessions were not fully effective. These sessions were limited in scope, lacking the full rights of a major exorcism Throughout these attempts, the Entity displayed his strength and defiance, requiring David to be restrained due to his superhuman strength as well as aggressive behavior. The intensities of these events had a profound impact on everyone involved, leading to severe trauma and even physical attacks on priests outside of the exorcisms. The seriousness of the situation was clear, David he was in grave danger, and a more effective intervention was urgently needed. But weirdly enough, as winter approached, the demonic attacks on David seemed less in frequency, offering a brief relief to the family. With that, Debbie and Arnie seeked an escape from the oppressive atmosphere of the home, and they decided to lease an apartment from Alan Bono, which was located conveniently near the kennels where Debbie worked. Now this new living arrangement brought Arnie and Alan closer, fostering a friendship as they often spent time together, including frequent visits to the local bar. However, this period of peaceful life was short-lived. Arnie, who was previously known for his calm and compassionate demeanor, began exhibiting alarming behaviors very reminiscent of David's experiences. Now, Debbie observed Arnie entering what was best described as a trance-like state. He would suffer from hallucinations and experience memory loss soon after. The situation took a dark turn on February 16th of 1981. On this fateful day, Arnie Johnson, under the circumstances that remain shrouded in mystery and horror, fatally stabbed Alan Bono with a pocket knife. The incident occurred amidst a heated argument at Alan's apartment, further intensified by Alan's drunk state. During the altercation, Arnie, seemingly possessed by the same demonic forces that tormented David, launched a violent attack. First, he assaulted Debbie. He knocked her down and kicked her. Then, he turned his aggression towards Alan. Arnie approached him with an ominous demeanor. Witnesses describe a surreal scene where Alan, poised for a fight, suddenly collapsed to the ground with multiple stab wounds, despite Arnie not appearing to physically attack him. In a wild animalistic state, Arnie fled to a nearby woods, leaving behind a scene of chaos and confusion. In the aftermath of the tragic incident, A state of shock and disbelief debbie overcome with distress urgently contacted her mother conveying the harrowing events amidst the chaos david still under the influence of the malevolent entity screamed that the beast not arnie was responsible for the attack which added a chilling dimension to the tragedy now carl senior and judy rushed to the scene only to be met with a heart-wrenching sight carl immediately called for medical assistance and paramedics They were quick to arrive. They quickly tried to do everything to save Alan Bono, all while the police launched a manhunt for Arnie. Sadly, despite the swift medical response, Alan succumbed to his injuries. Now, Arnie, he was found in a dazed state and was taken into custody, marking the beginning of a very abnormal legal battle. Arnie's attorney, he was intrigued by the unique circumstances and he took the case pro bono. He planned on arguing for a non-guilty verdict based on demonic possession, a defense that was never used in American legal history. This bold strategy aimed to leverage testimony from the Gletzel family, the Warrens, and the priests involved as well as the tape that had the recorded prophecy. Now, Debbie Gletzel and Judy brought their family's ordeal into the public eye revealing the harrowing details of David's possession and the failed exorcisms. Their revelations ignited widespread media attention and public debate. Now their revelations ignited the widespread media attention and public debate that placed the Gletzel family's struggle against the demonic forces. As the trial approached, the case became the topic of widespread speculation and discussion, and the story was met with both skepticism as well as belief across the nation. The story of David's affliction and the murder trial involving Arnie Johnson captured the imagination of the public, which reflected the complex interplay between belief, law, and the supernatural. Judge Robert J. Callahan dismissed the defense's plea of demonic possession, deeming it irrelevant and impossible to use as evidence. Now, this ruling emphasized the difficulty of proving possession in a legal setting. Now, the prosecution. They suggested that the murder resulted from a drunken altercation complicated by a love triangle, which Debbie strongly denied. Ultimately, the jury found Artie not guilty of first-degree murder, but guilty of manslaughter. This led to a 30-year sentence. The aftermath of the trial saw the Catholic Church stepping away from the case, denying involvement in the exorcism, and refraining from commenting on the events. The priests involved in the case were advised not to engage in the media, adding to the mystery and the controversy surrounding the case. Now the Warrens involved in the investigation believed that the church's reluctance to perform a major exorcism contributed to the tragic outcome and the continued haunting experienced by David. After the events surrounding David's possession as well as the legal aftermath of Varney's trial, the Gletzel family sought help outside the country. They traveled to Quebec, Canada, where a renowned exorcist performed an exorcism on David. Now, this process, unlike the previous attempts, was successful in less than half an hour. The entity identified itself as a powerful demon, revealed the depth of the haunting. The family also learned about a curse that was placed on them originally from a past encounter with a family involved in the dark practice. As for Arnie Johnson, despite being convicted of manslaughter, he was released from prison in 1986 due to good behavior. Arnie married Debbie in 1984 while still incarcerated, he has consistently maintained that his actions were the result of a demonic possession, a belief supported by his late wife, Debbie, who passed away in 2021 from an unspecified form of cancer. Arnie and Debbie maintain respect for the paranormal investigators and Lorraine Warren, despite some family members becoming unhappy with them. If you enjoyed this case, I ask you to please, wherever you're listening to your podcast, Hit the like button. Also, if you're on the YouTube machine, we're not very far. We're at 3870. We're on our way to 4,000 subscribers. Until I see you on the next episode of the podcast. Goodbye.